Yeah, I mean, one of the most important things, and it was something that I knew going into it, but it was reinforced after finishing, was that I have a pretty good idea of what my endurance pace is. And so I knew what pace I needed to go, like what effort level to, to push to like be able to complete the whole thing, even pushing a little harder than I would have since I was riding with Joe Martindale, who is <laughs> a very, very strong rider. Uh, even though Joe, when she pushed me to go faster than I would have alone, I would have ridden more conservatively. Either way, like my body still made it. Like bodies are amazing. Uh, even though my longest training ride leading up to that was, like I said, 30 miles unloaded, I was still able to do it. And so I know a lot of people get wrapped up in the amount of training they can get in, like the distance and training rides. Mm -hmm. But um, I just want to say that if anybody's interested in this, uh, though I do recommend you put in as much work as you can, but if life gets in the way, like you could, you can probably still complete it, <laughs> even if you aren't as trained as you wanted to be. From KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I am your host, Trevor, and on this episode, we talk all about the Polaroll Ultra Race out of the UP of Michigan with Minnesota based athlete Chelsea Strait. Um, you could consider this kind of a continuation of the last episode. Um, last episode, we talked with Jill Martindale about the Arrowhead 135, which is also a winter ultra. And uh, within that conversation, she was explaining how she was uh, ramping up and preparing also for the Polar Roll Ultra, a also... <laughs> winter ultra um race now that is um part of the polar roll series of of races or um series is not really the the right word there but uh the polar roll has been around for a few years up in uh, the marquette area ishpeming uh, michigan and it has a few different offerings um including a mass start uh, course 30 miles ish. There's a 15 mile ish course as well. Um, you can do an EX version on your own within a certain period of a few weeks, a couple months. And then also new to this year is the ultra version. And this is the first time that this has been offered. Now, Jill connected me with Chelsea Strait, who turned out to be the perfect person to talk about this new event. Chelsea is an extremely accomplished rider in her own right, and um, probably there is lots more that we could have discussed um, outside of the winter biking theme, 
But for this episode, we talk about her first winter ultra experience, which was the Polaroid Ultra. And uh, we also take a little detour um, and talk about uh, injuries and recovery as well. Uh, we, uh, we cover a lot in this chat, so let's get right to it. The Polaroid Ultra with Chelsea Strait. I saw that you have done some you did some riding this weekend. Are you like fully recovered from the from the long uh 24 25ish hours of riding in the UP? Uh so riding this weekend was I mean definitely on Friday my legs felt pretty heavy. Uh, I couldn't tell if my legs were having a hard time moving or if it was the soft snow and low tire pressures, but I'm pretty sure my legs were were still recovering. Felt a little bit better on Saturday, um, but my ride on Sunday was also a little bit of a struggle. Um, so, yeah, getting some riding in, but I can't say that I'm 100% recovered. Yeah, well, that that's understandable. I mean, I've done nothing in the winter that long. I've done some things about that long and it's not just legs of course right like it's it's your whole body that's just a mess after after mm -hmm. that um so i i'm kind of torn about how to talk about this because there's there's a few things like so the last episode we had we talked to jill martindale and we talked about arrowhead and that is of course one of the um, premier winter ultra races. And, um, not that we got like too deep into the details, but we did talk a lot about, you know, bikes and, and what the experience is like. One thing I appreciated that she brought to the conversation was the idea of how every single, um, even though it's, it could be the same course, even though it can be the same area year after year, it's a whole different experience because uh, the snow just creates, a whole yeah, and, and I think in winter riding at all, that's seen so apparently. Um, so yeah, so I I do want to talk about Polaroid Ultra. Um, I know it's the first year that it took place. Um, if I'm correct, it was your first winter ultra race. Mm hmm. Okay. Um. So. So yeah, there are some details I'm I'm interested in and about like you know, gear a little bit and this and that, but more so I want to know about how, um, for someone who has never done a winter ultra, um, how that went for you specifically, and then, um, and then get some details about the Polaroid ultra. I'm familiar with that area. I'm familiar with the Polaroid mass start. I did it last year. I didn't do it this year, but I'm curious just to get your sense of, of it's now a week removed. Um, maybe you still feel it a little bit in your legs, but I would love to hear about your experience. Well, I was pretty nervous going into the ultra this year, and some of it has to do with uh, some recovery I was going through. I broke my leg in 2021 pretty, pretty severely and spent all of 2022 trying to get back at it. Uh, I pretty much had to build my leg strength up from nothing after that. So it was just a whole year of just trying to like 
watch my quad grow. <laughs> oh, and, then, and then I was feeling pretty good um, with the progress that I made, but I knew that I had to get the hardware removed. So I had plates and screws in there. So I got those removed in November. So mid-November. And I, I was a little bit surprised at how long that recovery took. I thought, you know, killing the incisions would be most of it, maybe a little bit of swelling, but uh, it actually set me back for five weeks. Uh, so I, I wasn't really able to start training for the ultra until the beginning of the year, or maybe like right before New Year's. And so coming into the ultra, I signed up for it because it seemed uh, exciting. Uh, I asked my surgeon, you know, I can't remember if it was late November or early December, if it seemed like a realistic thing to do. She was like, I think you'll be healed um, by then. Uh, she told me that I'd have to be careful for a little, for six to eight weeks while uh, the holes in my bone healed. Um, mm -hmm. But outside of that, like, you know, I can kind of play it by ear and, you know, uh, if it, hurt to ride my bike to like take it easy but if I was feeling good I could you know essentially do what I wanted so I didn't have a whole lot of restrictions and so after the turn of the year then it really like set in <laughs> uh yeah this how is, much work this is it was happening. gonna be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually uh my partner and I we went to Marquette between Christmas and New Year's and I went and I mean they got a ton of snow and Minneapolis had a ton of snow and like not a lot of it had been groomed yet so I went and tried to ride some of the trails with an unloaded bike and I was kind of uh surprised at how hard it was <laughs> uh so I knew I had a long way to go uh before I could feel like physically ready to do such a big thing and so uh, luckily I have a coach that I work with and he came up with a really great training plan um, to get me as ready as I was going to be. Um, and then I had Jill to talk about gear and everything like that. But it was tough because we, we didn't know what the course was going to be like exactly. Because the original course started in Marquette, went up to Big Bay, and then down to Ishpeming. Uh, but because of um, some snowmobile club and permit issues they had to uh change the course almost completely and so the new course i think was a much better more attainable option but it went from like 140 miles with 10,000 feet of climbing and tons of snowmobile trail and lots of remote areas <laughs> um and you only had 40 hours to finish it and then it changed to 48 hours and a whole different course um with a little bit less climbing, but they had to like groom in single track, uh, like two weeks before the race. Like they had to like blaze trail essentially for yeah. us. Uh, so we didn't really know what we were getting into. <laughs> can I? And so can I? Can I yeah. uh, interrupt real quick? Um, mm -hmm. uh, the so so you're going through this. Um, this healing process and you're looking at, you circled the ultra, which is like, you know, uh, good, nice, like just easing into it, Chelsea. I mean, <laughs> you pick like <laughs> the hardest thing. Um, but like, even though, uh, it sounds like you haven't been racing or riding at the level that you had been in the past, like you've had 
experience um i'm I'm assuming experience winter biking and experience just like racing and doing events and some long events i'm assuming in the past right yeah so i've been even though i haven't had to put any of my sleeping stuff on my winter bike yeah i've been fat biking for a decade uh, and fat bike racing for a decade uh i um as far as long events you know i've completed unbound 200 i've uh i rode the crusher 250 mile route in the up so i've done some pretty a couple pretty long events but this is the first one that sleeping gear was required mm-hmm. or i actually like took with me i've also done a couple bike packing trips um over the years, yeah, I think my first bike tour was and I can't remember exactly how early it was. It must have been like 2010, maybe. Um, so I had a little bit of experience with, with bike camping, but I hadn't had to like put it together <laughs> yeah. uh, for a winter race that also involved a lot of required gear. Yeah. So, uh, so they're like getting to race day. There were a ton for you specifically, but and for others, there was a lot of unknowns, unknowns about how your body will fare, unknowns about what the course is even going to be, um, unknowns about how you could ride with a bike fully loaded and all that. Like it seemed, um, even though you are a very, uh, accomplished and experienced bike rider cyclist, um, still like this event itself, created a whole um set of new experiences for you Mm -hmm. yeah leading up to it i uh i never trained with the gear on my bike i didn't get some of the required gear until you know some of it like the week ahead of time i borrowed a negative 20 degree sleeping bag um from a coworker and a bivy and um from another coworker and some other stuff um from my partner so like I didn't even have all the gear <laughs> to practice. Uh, and so I had really wanted to try winter camping or winter bike packing to go and test some camping overnight. Cause that would have been a possibility on this race. You know, if the conditions would have been harder, if it would have taken me a longer time, I would have wanted to stop and sleep. And if I were to have to do it outdoors, I don't have a, a whole lot of like deep winter experience. But I never got any of that training in. My longest distance ride leading up to the event was like 30 miles. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So. Yeah, again, yeah, just just ease right into it. Um, uh, Did you happen to uh, weigh your bike before you you left? Yeah, it's probably a good thing. Yeah. I've never, I've never, I just thought of this right now. Um, and I'm assuming that it's a thing, but do you gear your bike differently when it's fully loaded versus like, do you put like a smaller chain ring on front or, um, just make sure that it's easy or do you just like run it the way that you had it already? So I, a lot of times I will make some last minute choices, especially based off of, I don't know, like a, a ride with similar, course features so when i 
I rode the Margie Gessick uh, mountain bike race in September. Uh, I chose the 62 mile length of the race and it has a lot of really steep climbs uh, actually on some of the same single track that was on this polar roll. And with my mountain bike, I actually had a friend bring me a smaller chain ring to swap the, you know, like the night before the race, because I had ridden some of the trails and even with fresh legs was struggling on some of the hills with my gearing. Mm -hmm. This one, I just went with what, what I had. I had a slightly bigger cassette. Um, I probably could have gone with a smaller chain ring, but it actually did pretty, pretty well. Um, I might have preferred to spin a little bit more. Um, I had a 30 tooth uh, elliptical wolf tooth chain ring. Uh, I think a 28 elliptical would probably have just been a little bit more enjoyable on some of the climbs, but. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. I, okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Enough of the gear talk. I want to know. <laughs> so the, the start of the, the ultra was on Monday. Were you there during the mass start um, over the weekend? Yep. I got up there on thir late Thursday night. And uh, worked remotely on Friday, Saturday. Um, I didn't watch a whole lot of the race. I saw a little bit of the start and a little bit of the finish because I was kind of anxiously packing my bike and <laughs> sure. gathering stuff so I could go for a test ride. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I just wasn't – I know that the weather always plays a big – of course always plays a big role in these kind of races. Um, but – Specifically this year, I know that there's a big question mark with uh, how warm it was going to be, and then and then the weather kind of dropped, but it supposedly it might be icy. So I wasn't sure if there was a little bit of intel you got from others that had did the um, mass start, but um, because essentially, um, what was it, mile one ten to one forty or something? You also rode the mass start. Yeah, so we, the last, I think it was 20, I don't know, I've heard anything, I can't remember how many miles exactly, I think it was, I think it was about 25 miles, I think we hit the single track at like a mile 115, uh, but yeah, a bunch of it was on that single track that the normal polar roll race is, and that is a challenging section, that was by far <laughs> the hardest part of the race, and that was the last, the last 25 miles, uh, but the conditions we hit, uh, most of us hit were way worse than what the 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 normal polar race mm -hmm. hit. The normal polar race, it sounds like it was like record fast conditions. Yeah. Um, and then we had we hit some fresh snow. <laughs> well, and and I've seen this like from several people, and even like Todd put it up. But like the it was great until it wasn't. Uh, saying um and that's specifically about the ultra correct and it sounds like the the conditions were so so at the beginning okay at the beginning and then really took a turn um when about in your progression of the race did that take the turn right so i would say the first i feel like the first almost 60 miles were all just like we were spoiled like it was really, really great conditions. Uh, there were a couple soft spots where, you know, your rear tire might sink in for a second, but for the most part, I was amazed at how well the conditions held up uh, for the first bit. The first um, section that 
was a little choppy was when we were climbing, climbing Mount Marquette Road. It's a snowmobile route. So the snow had been a little bit chewed up and a little sugary. Um, plus it's steep and long. So it was really hard to keep pedaling with a loaded bike. Uh, but that was short lived. Then the conditions were really, really great until um, probably for us, it was about mile 81. We were, we stopped at our friends and teammate Evan Simula. His camp was on the route, turned it into an aid station, which was amazing. But while we were there, it started to snow a little bit. And once we left, the snow really started coming down. So yeah, that was at like mile 81. And I didn't really realize how much the snow was slowing us down <laughs> until one of the groomers came by us. Uh, it was a snowmobile. It was two snowmobiles and the snowmobile in the back had a had a big tire it was dragging. And uh, I jumped into the track that uh, they made for us and conditions really sped up. Uh, so I, I thought uh, we were going slow because it was a hill and we were full <laughs> starting to get tired but it turns out that the, the fresh snow is uh was a little bit harder to ride in than i gave it credit for yeah for and sure. then uh yeah so we but most of that was road um or uh the iron ore heritage trail until we got into town and if swimming uh fresh snow on the roads there um and then when we got to the single track to the ramba trails that last 25 miles uh, the snow, I mean, the advantage of having that fresh snow is we could see the route uh, by following other people's tire tracks. But, you know, there's only like one fresh track. Everything else was like kind of getting covered with snow. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but then all the hills already had footprints and tire tracks on them. So the, the hills, we, we weren't hitting them fresh. They're already getting a little mushy so it was a lot of push a bike up oh. <laughs> push a loaded bike up the push hill a loaded bike yeah <laughs> um is uh so i know like arrowhead had a supported version and unsupported version was just this all like all unsupported or was it like semi-supported i mean you talked about um some like an aid station um is it all mm -hmm. kind of like trail angel supported situations i mean there's not like were there, there weren't true, uh, aid stations or were there? There were true okay. aids. Well, there was one true, from what I understand, there was one true aid station, uh, at mile 40 Lake and Inland, uh, which actually had some of the polar oil, um, folks there. I could be wrong, but they, I mean, it felt really official. <laughs> there was a uh, heated tent and hot dogs and, uh, the finisher cookies and um, a big fire. Like it, it was really a lot of spectators. Uh, so that was mile 40, mile 80. Uh, so Embark Maple Syrup, they had a tent at that mile 40 that I was just talking about, but they also had a tent at mile 80. So maybe it was official, but I don't think it was part of the original route um, to be an aid station. But then because it ended up being on the same road that evidence camp is on. I think it all just worked out that that ended up to be, ended up being a really great spot. Gotcha. And then um, you hit the bike when you get into mile 60 ish, you go through Marquette and there's a short, 
very close to the route. There's Border Grill if you want to go get a burrito. There's McDonald's and a Walgreens and pretty much any amenity um, not too far away from there. And then when you get to Ishpeming, mile 110 or 115, uh, depending on what time you get there, you might have some stuff open, you might not. <laughs> but the but West End Bike and Ski, they are a bike shop in town there. And they uh, supported the race and kept the the space open throughout the entire ultra overnight and everything. And so uh, when we stopped there really quick before hitting the last single track, there were people sleeping on the floor. <laughs> um, you know, it was like, yeah, some people chose to like nap there. Other people um, had Airbnbs like in Ishpeming that they could go sleep at if they wanted uh, at Evan's camp. I'm not sure if anybody did, but he's got a cabin uh, there that people could have slept in. I know the Embark tent was heated and people slept in there. So it wasn't like, I can't say that it was a hundred percent unsupported. Uh, you needed, they required that you were self-supported, but you could take advantage of any amenities that were out there. There weren't a whole lot of rules around that. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and then I'm assuming like there were the post-race gear check too, to make sure that, um, like you needed the, what was it? Like 3000 calories, like a peanut butter jar or something. And, um, Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then, so you never, I mean, so you had, you, you carried things like a, what was it? A 20 degree bag or a negative 20 degree bag, a negative, a negative 20 yep. degree bag. Negative 20, uh, and, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm and sure, a, I'm sure a bunch of other things that you had on your bike, but you probably didn't even need to use, uh, or mm-hmm. yeah. Um, which is probably for the better, right? <laughs> you probably didn't want to sleep in the snow. I'm guessing that's just a guess. But... Mm-hmm. Right. So lots of required gear. Uh, I didn't know if I'd be able to make it without sleeping. So I'm really glad I was prepared just in case it's the UP. So you never exactly know what the weather is going to be like. So if the conditions would have been soft, it would have, you know, we could have been stuck on pretty remote areas. Uh, it just turns out that most of the route was pretty fast. Uh, but I do have to say that the folks that stayed overnight I th- or slept a few hours at Evan's camp, I think they woke up to like eight inches of snow on the road. <laughs> oh. uh, so some of them were, were moving pretty slow um, until I think some of it did get cleared and oh. groomed for them. So depending on like where you were in the course and at what time, totally just de- what your experience was like yeah definitely um so so now on the other side of this whole experience you um you're you're you have now done a winter ultra you have now experienced a really long time in the in the wilderness of in the winter wilderness um i'm curious about some like takeaways or tips for someone like myself or someone who hasn't done this yet um do you do you feel like one experience gives you some some insight and knowledge that you can you know bestow upon the rest of the world um what what was like some of the most important pieces or or um you know just things that you found were the most important to get you through the experience 
Yeah, I mean, one of the most important things, and it was something that I knew going into it, but it was reinforced after finishing, was that I have a pretty good idea of what my endurance pace is. And so I knew what pace I needed to go, like what effort level to, to push to like be able to complete the whole thing. I've been doing this long enough that I, I kind of have a an idea of that, but uh, even pushing a little harder than I would have since I was riding with Joe Martindale, who is <laughs> a very, very strong rider. Uh, um, I'm really happy that I had her. She's super experienced, had tons of expertise. Uh, so I had, I felt like <laughs> an ultra, um, ultra royalty with me the whole time, <laughs> which was really great. But, um, <laughs> Uh, even though Joe, when she pushed me to go faster than I would have alone, I would have ridden more conservatively. Either way, like my body still made it. Like bodies are amazing. Uh, even though my longest training ride leading up to that was, like I said, 30 miles unloaded, I was still able to do it. And so I know a lot of people get wrapped up in the amount of training they can get in, like the distance and training rides. I mean, I think some of that is is good for, um, you know, making sure that your butt can handle it, you know, your touch points, your butt, your feet, your hands. Mm -hmm. But um, I uh, I just want to say that if anybody's interested in this, uh, though, I do recommend you put in a switch work as you can. But if life gets in the way, like you could you can probably still complete it, <laughs> even if you aren't as trained as you want it to be. Uh, another thing is that um, I was a little bit intimidated by gear going into it. Like I said, I borrowed a negative 20 degree sleeping bag. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> um, also, he lent me like a cradle to like carry some stuff on my handlebars. Uh, Risa, she lent me a, a bivy. Uh, thank you, Risa. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I borrowed some stuff from my partner, but like, I didn't have to buy everything, like a negative 20 degree sleeping bag, you know, full retail can put you back like 600 to $1,100, depending on like, which one you're going to buy. And there's a huge community out there. Um, so there's certain like gear requirements, but like, you don't need a fancy new stove. You don't need like, there's a lot of things that you might not need to buy. You can just run what you have. And what you know works even if it might be a little heavier uh or you know maybe not optimized but the more you do it the more you'll you'll figure out like what the important <laughs> gear to swap out would be and that sort of thing but yeah there's a great community out there of people um to, to talk to and ask questions and i learned a lot <laughs> going into this um yeah i think those are two you know the some of the biggest hurdles i think gear is a huge hurdle in the whole cycling community but especially when you're talking about uh bike packing and when you're not just talking about only a bike but a specific kind of bike and then all the gear and then how do you put that gear on the bike and so that um i think for myself or for or someone else that might be a huge um uh, yeah, not only a hurdle, but, um, like being intimidated by, by that whole idea. Um, and then, yeah, that's super interesting about endurance and, 
Um, like you said, you maybe you wouldn't recommend that uh, <laughs> you go into it with only a 30-mile um, race under your belt, but the fact that the human body can endure through such a long um, such a long uh, effort is is pretty amazing. And then both of these things, I think there's like a through line um, is uh, the community and the people. And for the endurance and during the race, you had someone to ride with you and push you and uh, and kind of support you that way. And then you had a lot of support of friends to um, help you with the gear and make it not intimidating and make it not a hurdle. Um, so I think that that is a great thing about the cycling community is that um, if you need something, there's probably someone that can help you. And maybe you just need to speak up and ask for help sometimes. Um, I really, I, I love that. And kind of going backwards to the beginning, um, when you weren't sure about you, you signed up for it but you hadn't done anything like this since your surgery since uh your recovery um now on the other side does that give you a little bit of um further motivation or confidence that uh, maybe you didn't have before i would say that this was the like this winter like a few weeks leading up to the event was like the first time that I felt like I was doing things without thinking about my leg mm. <laughs> and like the recovery and how it feels or whatever. It's still like, I was still a little bit nervous about it uh, a couple of days before because I, um, my knee was bugging me a little bit, but I just adjusted my, I'm glad I got the train, like the takedown rides in the weekend leading up to the ultra because uh, I just adjusted my cleat position and my saddle height and my knee didn't bother me at all but for the most part I just feel like now the injury is behind me and I can just like move forward without thinking about it but it's defined me for the last year and a year and a half I think yeah it feels good to be able to kind of close that chapter (laughs) that's huge um did you get injured riding Oh, yes, ish. <laughs> uh, it was kind of a freak accident. I, um, um, I, uh, so it's kind of a freak accident. I was, uh, trying a mountain bike feature that involved, uh, some rocks that kind of went up and over through this tree V. Uh, and I wanted, it was kind of, I was kind of in my head about it. Um, and I, Decided to give it a shot, but I was overthinking it and decided to to bail. I was too busy thinking about, like, if my pedals would hit the tree, like, one of the trees or my handlebars or whatever. So I was like, okay, you know, this wasn't a great first attempt, so I'm going to bail. And I uh, put my foot, I was going, like, zero miles per hour, put my foot out to the side, tipped my bike over, um, and I was going to land on my foot. Like, same bail move I've done a million times. And I felt 100% in control, but when my foot hit the ground, my knee just gave. And I just, like, collapsed. And I was a little bit confused at what happened. I had, like, no idea I broke my leg. I just thought something was funky with my knee. Um, So I think when I put my foot down, I 
put it down on like a slanted surface instead of a flat surface. So I was just that plus physics <laughs> just yeah. like hit my knee wrong. And so I was laying on the ground and I couldn't straighten my leg. So I knew something was wrong, but I thought like, oh, maybe I dislocated my knee or something, not really knowing how it works. Um, and since I couldn't uh, straighten my leg, we used a tube as a sling <laughs> to keep my like over my shoulder, like around my ankle to like keep my leg bent. We slammed my saddle down on my, my bike seat and oh uh, kind of like <laughs> scooted out of there um, the best we could. And when I got to the ER uh, and they told me it was broken, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, and I had a, they're like, not only is it broken, but it's broken pretty bad. And we have to send you to uh, a trauma orthopedic surgeon. And uh, it was, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that was not what I was expecting. Yeah. And it seemed like the, a long road to recovery out of that. Um, you said mm -hmm. that was in 21. Yeah, it was in August of 2021. And so I would broken my tibial plateau. Uh, so the top of my tibia, I broke both sides of it. Uh, so I needed a, a plate on either side of it and, um, tore my meniscus a little bit. Um, luckily my ACL, PCL, MCL were pretty much okay, except the bone that my ACL was attached to, <laughs> like that part broke. Uh, so I had to wait for the bone to heal before my, my ACL was, was good to go. Um, and I know but, we're, we're kind of getting uh, off on a tangent and this is not about polar roll necessarily, but, um, mm -hmm. I think this is super interesting. I, um, I recently, I'm kind of like going through recovery as well. I crashed last year. Um, and I have a plate in my clavicle, which like, you know, so many, uh, cyclists do, but it's, it, it's interesting that when you were saying, um, leading up to polar roll and he, he, it was like the first time you stopped thinking about, um, your knee or your, or your leg. Um, it just was, it wasn't something that was in your mind all the time. And I think that, um, I've said this before to people that it's like, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I can like, there's always reminders that I crash. I can feel it right now. I know that I have metal in my body. Um, and it's just, it's, it's like always there. And then there's of course, like the mental reminders as you are riding as well. Um, that is, uh, that turned out to be more, more of a difficulty than I thought it would. Um, mm -hmm. but then like the physical, of course, like the physical getting through that is tough and, and slow and more way harder than I thought. And then that, of course, like, uh, compounds upon the, the 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 mental side of it too um but then hearing you talk about this like yeah i i i don't think my injury was as um is as bad i guess um as like a, a a severe break in the leg but um knowing what it's like to just live with metal in your body it's just it's and i don't know i i don't think i'd want they said they could take it out I think there's, there was always an option of, did, did you have an option of keeping it in, keeping your plates in? Yeah. Yeah. And actually I also went through a clavicle break, uh, the year prior. Mm -hmm. And so in 2020, I broke my clavicle and then earlier in 2021, I got the hardware out. Oh, okay. Uh, cause it, yeah. Cause it was uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. so I, I'm really glad that I got it out, but yeah, so I went through the class. I do have to say that going through the clavicle break, 
you know, at the time felt like the end of the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, but it put, you know, after breaking my leg, kind of puts things into perspective. Like, oh, that was like <laughs> a blip on the radar. <laughs> but, but I, you can't discount the mental toll it takes on you because, yeah. you know, for several months back into riding after breaking my collarbone, I was, I would, uh, I would panic at weird moments that were completely irrational. Like, I'm just going around a corner and I slammed on my brakes mm. and like made a made a dumb move because like my body i don't know it's i don't know if it's exactly ptsd but i feel like it's close where uh yeah where the men your mind has to heal as well right. <laughs> as your right. body and it yeah. takes the mind and and confidence and to get your your mojo back it takes quite a quite a lot longer than you'd expect yeah and i think it does take you know, like all, I'm, I'm sure this is the same with anyone going through any sort of injury or any sort of like setback in their, um, you know, that they're, they're at this level at one time. And then there's a setback, whether that be injury, whether that be life issues, whether that be just different situations. Um, and then there's something that's hard because you're not where you were before. And, and it almost like, there's there's a, a a couple ways like your mind has to wrap around like okay maybe I'm not that anymore maybe I'm this and then it's like okay well I have to be okay being this now instead of that but but then if you do get to the point of being what you were before or like accomplishing something you did before then that's a huge hurdle to get over that's a huge like you can look back and say okay now I'm now I'm almost at zero again and I can go from here. And, um, I, I, I saw that last year, a couple races I did. Um, I was like, okay, that was really hard. And I know that I'm not where I should be. And that was really hard. And I know I'm not where I should be. And then there was a race where I'm like, I did better at this race this year than I did last year. So now I know that maybe I am not completely over it, but like back at zero and I can kind of move on and maybe like you said uh um you're not thinking about your leg anymore and it's it's just more of a uh now now you can start enjoying the experience for what the experience is i guess instead of hoping your leg holds up the whole time mm -hmm. um so i i mean i and I, i'm guessing that um, kind of like the the lead up to Polaroid, and then the of course the finish of Polaroid. I I hope for you that that kind of feels like um a big accomplishment in many of those in in many ways. Um, not just to finish your first ultra, but also do it um in a time where you're trying to get through this these these certain hurdles. I guess. Yeah, I feel yeah, it feels really good. <laughs> <laughs> to be done um and i feel like i'm uh ready for this coming season it's weird to have such a long ride under my belt this early of the year, oh, yeah, being absolutely. That i'm in minnesota <laughs> um uh you know before we i mean i we we did kind of get off on a tangent got off on a tangent a little bit but if, is there anything else about polar roll um I was kind of bummed not being there this year. I was there last year for the mass start and uh it was fantastic. It was it was kind of the kind of one of those things where the weather was 
terrible the day of and even the morning of and then you know like danny and crew went out and groomed it and it was just a uh like a highway like it was it was it was a pretty incredible experience um but did uh you know like one thing we didn't talk about um and that i'm not sure of is like where where did you all start and finish i mean you finished in ish right did you finish like the same finish as um the mass start finish no we finished at uh west end okay bike uh the the mass start events started at or finished at the school yeah yep yep. they started and finished at the school so you're just a few blocks away where was the start then for the ultra it was in munis near munising okay at uh the same campground that the crusher started at this summer. Okay. Uh, so I think it was 20 minutes from Munising. Okay. okay. So we started east, made our way west to Marquette, and then kept going west, and then went a little south. <laughs> uh, but it was it was a it was a point to point, and it was kind of a long like a a long point to point. So there were definitely uh, some logistics. Oh, yeah. to figure out there and i have to give a big shout out to our friend and teammate evan uh who not only had the aid station but he also made sure that we were delivered to the start safely <laughs> oh good <laughs> mm-hmm. um and there were like just under 30 of you all that took this on right it, it wasn't yep. i mean for the first for a first year first ultra um i feel like that's a pretty good number you know, it's funny, like, I know when, when it was announced, and I'm like, Todd, what are you doing? Like, another, like, like, I don't know. And and for me, I'm, like, forgetting that there's this whole culture of winter ultra um, events and and athletes. Um, so, yeah, so, like, at first I thought it was, like, you're going to get someone killed. But then I, <laughs> then I forgot, oh, no, like, people actually do this all the time. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so there were yeah. like there were like a uh, twenty eight of you or something or. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think twenty eight ish. I can't oh. remember the exact okay. number, but that was, that's pretty close. Uh, I think a fun thing to note was that three people dropped out at one point. Uh, you know, kind of reevaluated situation after it had snowed a bunch. Uh, so they had originally turned in their trackers and called it quits. But with some peer pressure uh, from a couple others that were still out there, they decided to get their bikes ready and grab their trackers and go and finish the dang thing. No way. (laughs) Yeah. So there were three people that almost didn't finish it, but went back out there and they still finished within a few hours of the cutoff. Oh, that's amazing. I I hadn't heard that. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I think... Only four people total had dropped out, so it had a pretty um, a pretty good finish rate. So I feel really glad about that. I think the just the community feel of this one, like it felt like we were with. I mean, I saw certain people. I felt like at every corner for the first eighty miles, oh, wow. <laughs> like a photographer poking out or a friend or <laughs> or whatever. So it was it was super cool just to see the community support. Uh, that's one thing Polaroid and a lot of those 906 adventure team events uh, tend to bring out as like great community because um, they are hard events and they are ones that people 
you know, train all year for or worry about all year for, <laughs> um, like big goal events for people, uh, with the ultra, I have no doubts that next year will, I mean, assuming they'll, they'll, uh, have it again next year. I have no doubts we're going to have more people. I think just the positive reviews from all the racers mm -hmm. this year is just going to, you know, put it on more people's radar. It's been done. So it's attainable. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was hard for people to sign up when you didn't know what the distance was. Cause when I originally registered, it said a hundred miles <laughs> <laughs> and ended up being 140. Yeah. So put that, put the mileage in perspective. Like, so you finish like 24 hours, right? Yep. How do you have any idea of where, when you hit a hundred miles, like what, what, like how many hours it was? Oh, I didn't look at the hours, but I remember where it was. We were climbing, I think it was Wolf Lake Road. Uh, or it was, yeah, it was between Evans Camp and Ishpeming. Uh, and I, yeah, I don't remember what time it was, but it was definitely dark out. It was probably like 10, 11 p.m., something okay. like that. <laughs> so, but like, so, I mean, we're talking seven hours more of riding, probably six or seven something like that well we didn't start the single track until 12 30 or 12 45 a.m and we didn't finish till 7 a.m so oh, just that last section yeah. was you know and, and i'm assuming that if it was 100 he would have snuck that single track in there somewhere but uh but yeah mm -hmm. like yeah 40 miles is a substantial <laughs> difference between 100 mm -hmm. miles and 140 <laughs> miles <laughs> Right. Uh, so I hope they do a similar course next year because I thought the course was great. I thought I thought it was starting near Munising. I mean, the only thing that would make it better is if we started in the Ramba Trails in Ishpeming and went to <laughs> to and finished in Munising. <laughs> that would because you get all the hard work out of the way, yeah. and then I mean, again, depends on the the snow conditions mm -hmm. uh, and time of day and where in the pack you are but uh i i gently suggested that to todd so we'll see what happens next year <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for me to see like one of the 906 uh races finishing that far out of like the marquette ishpeming um nagani area but um yeah you know you said in the pack and everything did it did it feel to you competitive um i or did it just was it more of a, um, not the op maybe the opposite of competitive, but maybe not even the opposite of competitive. I mean, you're you're competing to to finish it. You're competing to complete it. You're competing to uh, beat the course, basically. Um, mm -hmm. Did it? But did it feel at all like um, you were uh, trying to compete against? You know, like uh, making sure that you were uh podiumed or top five or you know did it did it have that feel or that vibe at all a little bit oh, oh it did okay <laughs> a little bit uh some of that um was so it was i rode with jill and then there were two other women that were we rode with a few times so there was um claire and christy 
And both of them are really, really strong riders. And we, it was really great to share the course with both of them at various times. Uh, but um, Jill and I, I think we were, we spent a good chunk of time uh, in front, I believe. And then we, we did use having the other women near us as a little bit of motivation to keep moving. But uh, I actually made a mistake when we got back into town and um, followed the wrong line on my navigation. Uh, and uh, we actually were passed <laughs> uh, while we were locked in town uh. just before the finish. <laughs> um, and so when Claire finished, it sounds like she finished ahead of us. She um, put such an impressive... Uh, like she closed the gap on us in the single track. She was like almost to us. She would, had been following our tire track and the fact that she could see it even with the, the blizzard like conditions means that she was like right there. And so when we made the mistake in town, which was mostly my fault, uh, she just went straight to the finish and beat us by five minutes. Uh, Man, five, and minutes, so she, five minutes for that long of a event though. I mean, that's like uh -huh. neck and neck. <laughs> Yeah, and so um, when Claire, when we showed up, Claire was there, and, you know, she thought we had finished, like, 10 minutes ahead of her, and, like, we were like, where did you come from? Uh, so we had no idea she was so close, uh, but we were, it was really impressive how quickly she was gaining on us in the single track, because, I mean, I know I was burning out pretty hard. Um, she was riding by herself, too, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. I so, I mean, that's I, off. Yeah, no kidding. I, I mean, not. I just, I feel like at that point of the event or experience or whatever, like, man, being by yourself, that's some. That's, uh, yeah. That <laughs> I don't know. That's that's pretty pretty impressive to, yeah. to be able to and then push we, through that. Right, and then we had somebody catch us in the single track, and we were kind of asking if you know if he had seen. Christy, because we thought Christy was going to be the closest competitor. And he was talking about Claire and how he didn't think Claire was going to catch up to us. Um, and we didn't realize it was actually her partner <laughs> that, uh. <laughs> that had said that. <laughs> so we found out after that that was actually Claire's partner. So I was like, oh, I don't think Claire's going to catch you. <laughs> <laughs> But we were like, yeah. why is he talking about Claire? Like we thought we thought Claire was further back and Christy was gonna be the closer one. Ah, smart. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh man, it was it was so awesome just to like have both of them out there. Like it was a delight to like I said, an honor to share the course with both Claire and Christy at different times because I had never met Claire before. Uh so it was really good to get to know her and Christy I knew was already a really strong rider and had she did the polar roll mass start and finished third in the women's category. So she's coming into it after a hard race. Oh, uh, she like she raced is, on Saturday and then turned around and raced on Monday too. Yeah, pretty oh, wow. impressive. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, for me that wasn't even an option. <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> no way. Yeah. Um, so I know, like, yeah, Christy, like Roy Krantz did the the snowshoe. Um, I don't even know how, was that like a, the 30 miles? I mean, was it the same distance as the mass start course? 
but he I just think did it's all it. the same. Yeah, he just did it on snowshoes, um, mm-hmm. which probably I, I should see. I should look back and see how long that took him. Um, I'm guessing a little longer than it took the bikes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then he turned around and uh, and did the ultra. So I'm, man, that is that is super impressive for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. I mean, a good chunk of the course, or actually a good chunk of the field. Uh, we're all new to ultra racing. There was a handful of seasoned ultra riders, but it was a good number, a good percentage of of beginner, or I wouldn't say beginner riders, but you know, new to the winter ultra winter sport. Ultras. Yeah, uh, that's so cool. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems like on uh, from my end, from the from the outside, it looks like like you said, it it, it looked like a success. It looked like people uh enjoyed it in their own weird uh way <laughs> and um and yeah i i would agree if if they do it next year i'm i'm assuming more there'll be more people for sure um i i know i kind of uh cut us off with some gear stuff but is are there any other specific gear things that you want to talk about um you riding uh you riding like a a salsa right or, nope, I was on an Atso. An Atso, an Atso. Okay. Yep. My mistake. So I rode in an Atso Voitech. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, what like what? Uh, uh, I know it's always a, a big question, but like tire choices. Um, I don't. I don't think anyone needed to do studs because it was it wasn't icy necessarily. But uh, but yeah, like what tires were you running on that? Uh, so. I would say, well, even though we had a little bit of fresh snow, I feel like stud definitely did help in some sections. Uh, you did uh, have studs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. most people, they were recommending studs. Oh, okay. And I always forget because I almost always use studs. Uh, I'm, I just, I don't see like, I don't see a reason why not to use studs these days because uh, they don't really slow you down in the snow. And so I, I had studded 45 North Dillinger four tires, mm-hmm. uh, which I think were a great choice. Uh, I underestimated how much tire pressure you can get away with when you have a loaded bike. Uh, Cause you just add weight to your bikes, so you add friction. And so uh, I was able to, I didn't, I don't know exactly what tire pressure I was running, but it was pretty high. I mean, I would say, probably eight or nine PSI. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, mainly because the course was in really great condition. And even when we had fresh snow towards the end, because it was such a hard packed base, uh, that the higher pressures, I was still getting pretty good traction. My legs would run out of, <laughs> would run out of uh, juice before I ran out of traction. In oh, most, that's, that's great. In most situations. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Any, anything else? Uh, I mean, we, yeah, we've kind of covered a lot of stuff, but <laughs> yeah, we did. We've been around, around the world. <laughs> uh. Oh, you know, I, so, so the, you said this is like really early in the season to, um, to do such long of a race. Uh, what else are you looking at this season? Um, in terms of racing, are you, you have a, a a busy schedule or do you have a couple, couple things on the calendar? I have a couple of things on the calendar. Uh, I have two more fat bike races. I have the sweaty Yeti, 
uh, Fat Bike Race in, at Levis Mound in Wisconsin. Uh, that one I'm pretty excited for. It's a three-hour format and lapped, so however, however many laps you can do in three hours. Oh, cool. Um, it's usually... <laughs> Uh, it's usually a, a party. <laughs> it's a long, it's a long one if you do it solo, but they have teams that do it as well. Uh, so yeah, it usually has a party atmosphere. Uh, and then Fat Bike Berkey is the weekend after that. And that one's just like a good season closer, uh, especially the end of daylight savings. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's like, okay, now, now spring can come right after that. And then, um, the beginning of April, there's the Ragnarok 105 gravel race here in Minnesota. That one's a favorite early season hard gravel race. I mean, I feel like there's like 8,000 feet of climbing. Oh, goodness. And that one. Uh, and then in May, uh, May 20th, there's the Bentonville Rule of Three. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, which so I signed up for that one this year, which will be a new one. So that, yeah, that, that like begs the question what bike do you choose for that because isn't that like a you know there's never a aren't there like three different sections and you know you can ride a mountain bike or a gravel bike or i don't know i don't know why you'd ride a road bike but (laughs) but isn't Uh that the whole point of rule of three it's just like kind of like all up in the air like what bike do you choose and do you underbike or yeah yeah i will definitely underbike uh i have a and i have an atzo wahila c which is a, a kind of a competitive geometry uh, gravel bike, um, carbon gravel bike with tons of tire clearance. Oh, nice. So, uh, you know, it's just a matter of deciding which tires to put on there. Yeah. Are do you, I do? Are you on the, oh yeah. Go, talk about tires and then I got to follow up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, do I do like, oftentimes I'll do like a 700 by 42 tire, uh, for, you know, riding single track and stuff, but people are talking about how slicey the trail is. Um, I usually go with more of a durable casing, uh, because I have no tolerance for flats, <laughs> even if I, even if I, you know, sacrifice a little bit of, um, of weight. Of weight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I think I might do the Terravel Rutlands, which I, I tend to do for a lot of events. Um, I know they handle well in single track, but um, uh, I'll be looking over tire choices to to see if I might want to go wider. Or So where do you land on the gravel bar, gravel bar, the gravel bike uh, dropper seat post conversation? Because <laughs> I feel <laughs> like this might be like, I don't know that I, I, I would assume that maybe that would help out a little bit, especially in the single track areas of that race. Do you know what? I haven't really thought much about it. Uh, that's actually a good, good point that I might want to play with maybe adding a dropper post, but uh, normally I feel like I've never needed one, even okay. when riding single track. There was one particular ride in California I did in October um, out near LA where I ended up on some kind of bandit trail that was super, super steep that, you know, maybe I could have ridden downhill if, if I had a dropper just cause it was so steep. But most of the time I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not shy about just getting behind my saddle and, uh, you know, sending, getting back there. Sending it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I mean, it, it sounds like uh, your handling skills are much better than my my own. <laughs> I feel like if I did rule of three, I would go mountain bike because I don't I don't think I could handle the single track on my on my gravel bike. But that's um, that's just me. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, some of my background is when I started mountain biking, I didn't have a mountain bike. I only had my cross bike and I learned how to mountain bike in Minneapolis and then in Traverse City where there wasn't too much for technical riding. And so actually the first several mountain bike races I did, I did on my cross bike with canny brakes and (laughs) 33 tires and, and whatever. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so you're, you're kind mm-hmm. of built for it then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, then I, I mean, then I got soft and once I started using suspension, <laughs> it's hard to go back, yeah. it's hard, hard to go back, but for that one, I'm, I'm excited about, uh, you know, having the right bike for the fast sections and then under biking on the, the technical section. Yeah. It sounds like that is a race for you for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, rule of three, and then then what else are you are you looking at? So that's just still May, right? Yep, that's May. Uh, I signed up to help coach at Margie Gessick Camp again. Oh, cool. Um, that's one of my favorite things to do in the summer. Um, but I'm kind of leaving the calendar open after that. I usually try to do nice. you know like one new event per year that involves some traveling. So the rule of three is going to be that event this year, and then um, I have. My partner runs this fun event in the fall called the Hodeg Country Ramble. It's the week after weekend after Labor Day weekend in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. And it's a weekend of camping. Um, there's a so it's Friday and Saturday night camping, Saturday morning ride. Uh, and it's <laughs> he labels it a ramble because it's not quite gravel. Um, I used it on a gravel bike last year, but it's through a lot of forest roads, like really like minimum maintenance, kind of like it's super cool backwood stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, with some gravel road, with some pavement, uh, and then Saturday night there's family dinner and a big bonfire and party and people spinning records and it's at his dad's uh, hunting property. Oh wow! <laughs> and so. So it's like a group camp, uh, but it was one of my favorite things to do last year. Uh, just like a good weekend of friends and new and old. And uh, even on Friday night, he has a bandit cross race uh, for anybody who wants to just like do a quick 25 minute. <laughs> we decide how many laps we do like after we do like a neutral lap. Uh, but yeah, so that's the Hoday Country Ramble is going to be is going to be a blast. That's great. Well, very cool. Um, this was this is fantastic. Uh, again, like um, I have known about you, but I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you. So it was great to be able to not only talk about Polar Roll, but um, just talk to you and get to know you a little bit more. I hope. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if if our cro- paths will cross this year. I'll be at Margie. I'm not. I'm not sure if you'll be at Margie, um, the race itself. Um, but I'm gonna give that a give that a go this year. Um, but uh, have you done it before? I have not. No. It's my favorite. Okay. Well, it's a lot of people's favorite, and a lot of people's not favorite too. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I have not done it, and I'm excited for it for sure. Um, 
Yeah, I hope, I mean, I hope I can make it work to attend this year. If yeah. I'm not racing, I'll, I would love to cheer my friends on. Uh, but if I can race, I will definitely do it. Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, but thank you so much. Um, it was cool to hear your perspective of Polaroid Ultra. Um, you made it sound not so terrible. <laughs> so I t- okay. Take everything I say with a grain of salt because I do tend to do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, I usually have a little bit more positive of a disposition on that kind of stuff, but uh, I think that's also why I tend to do stuff like that. Well, because <laughs> I'm mean, like, oh, it wasn't so bad. I, I feel like that is a, a similar thing to a lot of people who are willing to put themselves through those kind of experiences. I mean, if you weren't able to, at this point, um, removed from the race, like to say, Oh, that was pretty, actually, that was pretty awesome. Like that, that was great. Um, I don't know if you would have ever gotten to the start of the, the race itself, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and so I, I'm wondering if most of the people I talked to that went through it, I, I, I find it hard that, there would be many that would say, you know what? That was garbage. I will never do that again. That was just, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, so I, I don't think you're, you're alone in that, but, um, but it, I mean, it was still cool. Like it's, you still were able to communicate how hard it was and how difficult something like that can be. So, and you know, 24 hours in the snow, um, just, you know, no matter how you, no matter how you slice it, it's, it it sounds pretty, pretty dang difficult. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but thank you. Like it was, it was a cool perspective to hear about. It's a first year ultra and then it's your first ultra. And um, yeah, it was, it was perfect. Um, so uh, I don't, yeah, I've, I've, I should know how to finish these things, but, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for, for, uh, for sharing uh your experience this is this was great yeah you're so welcome it was great to meet you the dirty chain podcast is a michigan mid-pack media production in partnership with kom cycling the source for your bike accessories and necessities connect with us on instagram and facebook at dirty chain podcast email dirty chain podcast at gmail.com if you are enjoying the podcast please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Audio editing and original music by myself, Trevor Gibney. A huge thank you to Chelsea for joining us on this episode. And thank you all for listening to the Dirty Chain Podcast. And as always, keep your chain clean, but get your chain dirty. We will see you in the mid-pack.